0: hey, why don't you uh, go ahead and grab your Bibles and turn to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. If you don't have your Bible on you this morning, if you forgot your Bible, didn't bring a Bible, if you don't own a Bible, we have people with Bibles who would love to get a Bible in your hand. So if you'd raise your hand, we get one too, so you can grab a copy of God's Word and open up to Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to be in verse 16, particularly, this morning of Ephesians chapter 6. Now, as you're turning there, I played a lot of sports in high school, but I would never consider myself an athlete. For me, sports were a way of getting out of school to go play something, right? They told me, hey, if you play football, not only will you get concussions, but you'll also get to miss fifth period English. I'm like, man, both of those seem like a really good deal, right? And so, sign up for the football team, but, but with that kind of motivation, I really wasn't a football player, wasn't really fired up about getting into the game and all that. So, I found myself hanging out on the bench a lot and I started noticing that wearing all of that equipment on the bench was super uncomfortable. I thought, man, what am I doing wearing all this gear just to sit on the bench and cheer? I mean, I I look at the end of the field, I could wear a little skirt and pom-poms to do that. Like, I don't need all this equipment to just cheer on the team. I wasn't really in the game. I was never on the field. There was no danger for me to get pummeled and hit. So why did I need all this protective gear? And sometimes, sometimes in life we can have that mentality. You know, life is good. Things are cruising along. Everything's going really well. What's all this talk about? I mean, you better be in God's word. You'd better be desperately on your knees in prayer. You better be calling out to have Christ in your life daily. And what's all this talk about being in community together? What's all this talk about spiritual warfare? But then there are others of you here this morning. And you hear me talk about the armor of God. And you say, where do I get some of that? Uh -uh, I'm in the battle. This is difficult. I got an email just this week from somebody who was emailing saying, Hey, I can't wait till you get to the next sermon when you talk about the sword of the Spirit and the Word of God in prayer. Because he says, I so desperately need this. He's he's a guy leading a small group, sees the battle going on all around him and his small group and his family. He says, "I, I desperately need this armor. Because listen, Christianity is not a a settle in, sit back, let's just cruise through life. Let's just live at peace with everything's going around us kind of religion. Living like we're on vacation or living like this is our home where we get to settle in like it's a safe place. Listen, if you're following Christ, you're called to get on the field, to get in the battle. And when you do that, you're going to feel the need for the armor of God. Because here's the deal, if, if you get into the battle, especially if you're right on the front line of ministry, that's where the attacks come. That's where Satan attacks. He, the battle's on that front line. It, when you're on the front line, you're going to feel the bullets flying, not the person who's five miles back sitting at home watching it on TV. The front line, that's the place of mission. That's the place where you open your mouth and you, you say, this is what Christ means to me. The front line is where you're out there putting your whole life on the line for the cause of the gospel because you know there's more to life than let me just put my time in and build up as much stuff as I can for myself. No, you want to make a difference in your family. You want to make a difference in your neighborhood. You want to make a difference in your world. That's the front line. And when you go there, bullets will be flying. That's why it's so important to to grab this piece of armor we're going to talk about this morning when we're called to take up the shield of faith. In fact, if you got your Bibles open, Ephesians chapter six, start at verse 10 and read down to verse 16. It says this, finally be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace, and for this morning right here, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Let me pray and we're gonna jump in. Lord Jesus, I pray that this morning that you would so do a work in our hearts that we would exalt your name to the place that everything else pales in comparison. That even all the good gifts you, you give pale in comparison. That, that the, the, even the problems we face, as large as they are, would seem so small compared to your glory, Jesus. That we'd see your power, we'd see your care, even in the midst of the battle. Help me, Lord God, this morning to teach your word, to teach it faithfully, to teach it clearly, to teach it urgently. God, that we would hold on tightly to the shield of faith that you've promised us. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, where, where have we been so far in this series? We've been tracking, we've been walking through this idea that, that hey, hey, listen, you're in a battle. If you're following Christ, there's this battle going on. And Paul's saying to us in Ephesians here, put on the whole armor. Like, grab a hold of these benefits, these privileges that you have in Jesus Christ. In the gospel, you have this armor. So he's saying, grab a hold of it. And as you grab a hold of it, what's that look like? What does it mean to put on the armor? We've been saying this. It means you believe a certain thing about this piece of armor, and then you live it out. So the armor is knowing the truth of who God is and who you are in Him, and then living out that truth. So, so when we talked about the breastplate of righteousness. Right? Other religions say this, live a righteous life, and when you get to heaven, give that righteousness to God, and he'll weigh it out, and you'll either be accepted or rejected based on what you give him. Christianity comes and goes, no, no, that's not it. You put on Christ's righteousness. He lived the perfect life for you. And God came in the flesh as Jesus Christ, lived a perfect, righteous life, died in our place, took on the full wrath of God for our sin, our lack of righteousness raised again from the grave and now gives us, gives those who repent, who believe. says, here's my righteousness, my perfect righteousness for you. Put this on. No longer do we, do we have to deny our unrighteousness say, well, I'm not that much of a sinner. No, I don't really sin. No, no, I don't. Uh, I, I, you know, the devil kind of made me do that. Like, we don't have to do that any longer. We also have to absorb it, though. No longer do you have to walk in shame and guilt and say, I'm just a a disgusting sinner with no goodness in me, no hope, no, listen, we don't need to to have that guilt and shame, why? Because as a Christian, you've been set free and now have the breastplate of righteousness, Christ's righteousness. And by knowing that, we live it out. We live righteous lives, we live differently, we live changed by this gospel of peace, and so, so with that in mind, we now come to this next piece of the armor the shield of faith. It says in verse 16, in all circumstances, take up the shield. That, that word there, take up, it's a military word. It's a command. It's like, hey, we're going into battle, grab your shield. We're, we're going to the front line, don't forget that piece of the armor, take that up because we're going into battle. Now what we need to understand is when you when you grab the shield, when you enter into the front lines of ministry, when you step out into battle, when you when you make a change in your life and say, you know what, I'm giving my entire life to Christ, when you say, I'm I'm gonna let the gospel deal with this sin in my life, listen, you're going to be under attack. If you're taking notes this morning, here's our first point. In battle, shots are fired. In battle, shots are fired. Right, we're not playing a game of capture the flag. This isn't paintball. This is a real battle we're in. Look what it says. It says, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith which, which, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. There are these, these flaming arrows he's talking about, the, the, the picture he's painting for us in this time, what would happen is you would take your arrows, you would wrap material around the end of them, dip them in this sort of pitch, light them on fire, and shoot them at your enemies. Like being hit with an arrow isn't bad enough. Being hit with an arrow on fire would be shocking, right? The imagery here is that the enemy fires at us. He fires these arrows, these, these arrows of doubts. So in temptation, we begin to doubt. In trials, we begin to doubt. And, and those doubts hit us, they go deep, they begin to burn and spread if we don't extinguish them. They consume us if we don't deal with them. Our, our own sin and flesh grabs a hold of those fiery arrows and pours more gas on them, and pretty soon our whole life is lit up. Now, how does Satan attack us with these, these flaming arrows? I mean, what's it look like? It, it, I'd say it's, it's, he's, he's coming after us with these these thoughts. It's kind of unnerving to think, wait a minute, wait, you're telling me that Satan can, can infiltrate my thoughts? Listen, I don't understand how it works. But if you're thinking, man, that's kind of scary to think that he can, he can fire thoughts at me. Listen, pick up the shield. This is such an important piece of the armor, why faith is so important. And maybe you think, wait a minute, if I know Jesus, I have his righteousness, his breastplate of righteousness on me. I'm no longer living in the dark. I'm not living in the light, I'm a child of God. How can Satan get at my thoughts? We've already covered this before in a a sermon in this series just a few weeks ago. We talked about what's it mean for a Christian? How can Satan, what can he actually do in my life? And and right, we're answering the question that people ask, hey, can a Christian be demon-possessed? When we talked about this, that that phrase demon-possessed, it's actually not in scripture, it's a bad translation. The word used is demonized influenced so think about this you can't be possessed you are if you're if you're given in faith you've repented and given your life to christ you're now possessed by god he owns you right but can you still be demonically influenced how would these arrows hit us? We, well, we have some examples in Scripture of this happening. And in Mark 8 and Matthew 16, maybe you remember the story where Jesus was walking with his disciples, and he turned to me and he said, hey, guys, who do, who do people say that I am? And they start telling him who people say that, that, that he is. And, well, some say you're John the Baptist. Some say Elijah. He goes, well, who do you guys say that I am? And Peter turns and says, you are the Messiah, the Son of God. And, and Jesus turns to Peter, and what's he say? He says, that's it, Pete, you got it. But listen, you didn't come up with that on your own. God's revealed that to you. And then, and then Jesus begins to lay out, he goes, hey, here's what I'm doing, guys. I'm about to go to Jerusalem. I'm gonna be taken by the chief priests and the authorities, and I'm gonna give my life, and I'm gonna die a death on the cross. And what's Peter do to that? It says Peter took Jesus aside to rebuke him. Funny, right? Peter grabbing Jesus, the one who said, you're the Messiah, Son of God, hey, come here for a second. And he goes, hey, th- stop talking with this death stuff, really? Like, just don't talk with it anymore, like it's not a good plan, like we're not gonna let that happen. That's not happening here with us. Like, you got a good thing going here. People are following you. We can, make, we can ride this thing for a lot longer, so if you just stop talking about dying, that, and what is, Jesus turns to Peter, remember what he said to him? He says, get behind me, Satan. You're not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Now, here's the thing, Peter was not Satan. Satan was not Peter, but Jesus was saying, hey, hey, that thought you just had, Peter, your first thought was influenced by God, this thought's influenced by Satan. Your self-preserving thought. You're thinking only about yourself. You're, you're thinking only about the life here and now. Listen, he says that's from the evil one. That's an arrow that hit Peter and started to burn him up. You see the same thing in Acts chapter 5, Ananias and Sapphira, Acts chapter 5, they're coming in and something crazy is going on in the church, they've got this uncommon community thing happening where they want to share everything, so people are selling all their possessions and bringing it to the church to share it amongst them, like wouldn't that be cool, we should start doing that, okay, cool for some of us maybe, right, it would be great, right, and they're sharing, so everybody's needs are being met, they're reaching out with the gospel, it wasn't commanded, they were just doing it, so this couple, Ananias and Sapphira, right, they sell a piece of property. They're bringing the money to the church. No one told them. They didn't have to give it all. They could have held some back and just gave some, but they, they lied, though. They said, hey, we're bringing all the prophets here. Why? Because they wanted to look good, right? They wanted people to pat them on the back and say, well, you guys are so generous. They come in and they say, they say, we're, we're, we're giving this, all of it. And here's what Peter said to Ananias in Acts chapter 5, verse 3. He said, why has Satan... Filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land. Listen, why is Satan filled your? Heart? Listen, Satan attacked. Satan shot an arrow into Ananias and Sapphira. These people in the church. He fires arrows of doubt. He fires arrows of false motives. He fires arrows of wrong thinking, and Satan fires these arrows at you and me. He fires them at Christians. So what's that going to look like? How do I know if if he's fired an arrow, a thought, something that's not from God? How do I know? I mean, you'll know, right? I mean, it will not be a thought that would be from God. It will be an evil thought. Something like, man, why am I thinking that? But here's here's the dangerous part, though. The Bible also says that Satan comes as an angel of light. They won't always seem evil. Satan rarely reveals the price tag when he tempts us. Satan's like the perfect timeshare salesman, right? Have you ever been to one of those? Yes, I'm saying timeshare salesmen are of the devil, that's true, right? (laughs) If you've ever been, you'll agree with me. here's all the great things, here's the gifts we wanna give you, here's all the stuff, and you withhold the cost, withhold the cost. Evil seldom seems evil right on the surface i have said this before, sin will always take you further than you want to go. It'll cost you more than you want to pay. It'll hold on to you longer than you want to stay. Satan holds back that price tag. And what's he do? He begins to open up our hearts with these arrows he fires at us. And that the arrow might come as anxiety. It may come as as hateful thoughts. Maybe maybe a lustful thought. Maybe jealousy. Maybe irrational fear. Bitterness. Most often, though, what you're going to find is these arrows have to do with doubt. I mean, each one of the arrows I just mentioned to you there, they have at their root doubt, where we doubt who God is. We doubt that God is good. We doubt that he's going to take care of us. We doubt who we are in Christ. I mean, Satan started this lie all the way back in the beginning where, where God commands Adam and Eve, hey, you can have everything in the garden, just don't eat from this tree here. And Satan comes along and he says, hey, Eve, did God really say you can't eat of any of these trees? He's firing doubt. And, and Eve answers properly. She goes, no, no, we can eat of every tree, just not this one. And Satan's like, oh, man, well, you know why that is? Because if, if you eat from that tree, you'll be just like God is. God doesn't want to give you good things. God's holding back from you. And he's causing this doubt where maybe you're missing out, Eve. Maybe God isn't as good as you think he is. I mean, Eve, look around. Everybody else is eating it. Okay, i making that up because it's just Adam and Eve in the Garden of Time, right? But you get what I'm saying. We hear those kind of doubts, right? Yeah, I know that's what God says, but man, all of society is against that. Why would you even want? Maybe God's holding something good back from you and the enemy fires these arrows into our thoughts. Did God really say, is that really wrong? What are you missing out on? Does God really have your best interests in mind? What happens is we let those arrows hit, we don't deal with them and we let them burn. A lot of times we pour on more gas. We start asking questions as well. Yeah, yeah, is that really what God means? Like what does it really mean to be pure? I mean, is that just a sort of a, a thing that society's built or, or what is lying really? Does that include white lies or, or God, what, is, what are you withholding from me? How, I want this, God, I think that's better than you are and so I wanna pursue after that. and. We believe the lie that God's not telling the truth. We we don't look at the price tag. We believe that God's holding stuff back and it's the enemy firing arrows at us grabbing a hold of them. The enemy also fires arrows arrows of doubt not just about doubting God but doubting who we are. He'll he'll fire arrows to, to cause you to doubt your identity in Christ. We saw this a couple weeks ago too. We we're talking about when Jesus was tempted by, by the devil. And, and what's the devil do? He takes him into the wilderness. And what's the question he keeps saying to him every time? He says, Hey, if you really were the Son of God, if you really are the Son of God, and we get hit, right? We get hit the same way. Hey, are you really a child of God? If you really were, would you be suffering like this? If if you really were a child of God, why why would you you be tempted by this? If you really were a child of God, you'd be doing so much more. I mean, you call yourself a Christian? Arrows being fired. He fires arrows at us during trials. when, When tough times come, don't those arrows just seem to be Relentless. I mean, there's, there's nothing that burns us up like suffering does, right? And, and there's a good burning that comes through suffering. Scripture points to that in James and in 1 Peter, it talks about how, listen, suffering's used to produce good things in you, and God's burning off the stuff that shouldn't be there. And those trials purify us like gold, burning up all the impurities, revealing things in us that, that God's like, this needs to go. And and that never would be revealed in a time of ease, so God allows the suffering to come in, but then Satan jumps right on board when the suffering hits and begins to fire doubt into it. Where's God now? You can't trust him. He he said he'd take care of you. He's not taking care of you now. He said he'd sustain you. He's not sustaining you now. Why don't you grab some satisfaction? You can't wait for God, because God's forgotten you. Listen, if you're in the battle, if you're fighting in in the battle of of this faith of the gospel, expect those arrows. The the Roman soldier didn't grab this shield when he was just hanging out. He didn't carry this shield around him just doing regular other soldier stuff. He wasn't just doing it, making sure he had it when he was marching. They, They grabbed this particular shield Paul's talking about when they were going into the fiercest part of the battle. When you hit the front lines, when you're storming the gates of hell, there will be shots fired. Listen, living a lukewarm Christian life, you won't feel the arrows so much. Why? Because the devil will leave you alone. Uh, The devil, just why why would I waste any resources on that person because they're not doing anything, they're just sitting on the sidelines, there's no reason to go after them. But when you decide this, when you say, I'm pursuing ministry, you say, I, I'm going to change my ways. When you say, I, I'm about to pour out everything to pursue what God has for me. I'm going to start to serve more. I'm, I'm going to give myself to Christ. I'm going to live and give sacrificially. When, when you decide, I'm going to give up this sin I've been holding on to for so long. In fact, I'm going to confess it and I'm going to deal with this thing. When you start to put your foot on the wall of the enemy castle, you can expect fiery arrows to start flying at you. Maybe you're there you're like, man, life was easier before I started to pursue Jesus with this intensity. Listen, you're being attacked. Here's point two. Here's the great, great truth of this passage. I have a shield for that battle. You and I have a shield for that battle. He says, take up the shield. The shield here—it wasn't like if you've watched gladiator movies, that little round shield they have, and they have the sword and a little tiny round shield. That's not the shield that, that Paul's talking about here. He's talking about a, a much bigger shield. It's called a thurion. It's this two and a half foot wide by four and a half foot tall piece of wood and metal. They would have have leather or animal skins on it that they've soaked in a in a material or that a, in a substance that will quench fire. So what happens is you have this massive shield so that the arrow, if the arrow wasn't deflected by the wood and metal, if it actually stuck in, the, the animal skin was so thick and soaked in the stuff, it would stop the burning right away. So what's Paul saying about this piece of armor then? Say, listen, when, when you take up this piece of armor, when you grab the shield of faith, it's going to protect you from those lies and those accusations. It's going to protect you when, when he's firing lies at you and you need to know the truth and you want to live out the truth. The shield's going to be your piece of armor for that. That's what faith does. When we have faith, now, now you've got to get this, it's not just faith in anything, all right? It's faith in Christ alone. It's not faith in yourself. It's not, it's not faith in what you want to have happen. I mean, just believe, you just believe, just think positively. That's not the kind of faith, all right? You just gotta, just gotta believe more. You just have to, to really own the belief of this. You just have to, are you positive, right? It's like that kid who's, who's going to the Little League game and goes, Mom, we're gonna get beat. No, you can't think that way. You just have to think positively. I'm positive we're gonna get beat, right? <laughs> That, that kind of faith doesn't change your life, it's, it's faith in Christ alone. It's not faith in what you wanna have happen. I mean, this is tough sometimes, isn't it? When, when we're praying for a certain outcome, and, and you hear people pray and they, they pray for healing and God heals and they say, man, isn't God faithful? Yes, God is faithful, that's true, but it's not, he's not just faithful because our desired outcome happened. W- what about those who pray for healing and healing doesn't happen? Is God still faithful? Faith is not in our desired outcome. That's not the shield, that's not a good shield to grab. That shield won't protect you, it's faith in Christ alone. If it's it's only faith in what we want to have happen, if if your hope, your desire is that you're going to be prosperous, what happens when the job fails? When the investment is lost? What happens when sickness comes and there is no healing? The Christian with faith in God can stand even in those times and can still say God is faithful. Jesus died and rose again, one day I'll be with him, one day all the things that are are wrong will be made right and I've got faith in that, he's proven himself to be faithful, so even in this, even in the difficult time I'm in, I can still say, God, you are faithful. I mean, that's our faith, can you rest in that? There's a story of a missionary, John Payton, who was going to these this, uh, uh, villages that, that didn't have scriptures so and he's trying to translate the word of God for them and, and they had no word for the word faith. And he struggled just trying to figure out what's a a word in their language they don't have, and do I make one up and have to describe it? And one day while he's sitting in his hut translating God's word, one of the villagers comes in, throws himself down on his chair, and says, oh, it's good to rest my weight on this chair. He says, I got my word, got my word. Resting all your weight, that's faith. It's not, Jesus, I can kind of put my arm around you and limp along with you. No, that's not faith. It's not, hey, can you prop me up when things aren't going well? No, it's I'm going to rest my entire weight of my life on you, Jesus. That's faith. So how's that lived out? So so here's what it looks like. Faith, then, is, is where we believe the word of God. We believe that he's good. We believe his promises for us and we live out our life based on that truth. That's faith. I'm going to believe in God's word and live my life based on that truth. So it's believing and living it out. So, so it's not a, a shield of saving faith. or right? It's not about your salvation. This is, this is living out faith. That's what the shield is. It's walking by faith. Habakkuk and Romans and Galatians and Hebrews all say that the, the, those who follow Christ walk by faith. It's important that we, we walk by it. We We take this truth and it changes how we live. Because Satan's going to come along and continually try to convince us that Jesus isn't who he says he is, to attack the truth of God's word. And we need to hold on to this truth when we're tempted to, to rather than act out of faith, I'm, I'm starting to be tempted to act out of doubt. And listen, doubting isn't wrong, but to have doubts isn't wrong. So, so many of us do, I, I, I know I'm not alone in this, where there are days where are like, is, is all of this real or not? We have those doubts, God, do you actually love me? God, are you really in control? Because right now, it doesn't seem like you are. I mean, those are doubts that most Christians have. And listen, that's not a sin. It's not a sin to have the doubt. Here's where the sin comes in when we begin to live that doubt, when we act on it. And rather than living by faith, we walk in doubt. Adam and Eve acted on the doubt. Peter, Matthew chapter 14, you see him acting on his doubts. Remember this story? They're in a boat, there's this massive storm coming in, and Jesus is walking on the water. He's about to just walk right by them, which is so cool. He's just gonna like, I'm just gonna go. Right? They see him, like, I think that's Jesus. Peter calls out. He goes, if it's really you, Jesus, then bid me to come out of the water to walk with you. Imagine what Jesus is saying right now. He's like, man, this guy's nuts. I love this guy, right? He's like, Pete, come on out. So Peter jumps out of the boat, begins to walk on the water, his eyes on Jesus. Remember how the story goes, though. What's he begin to do? He looks around. He begins to see the wind and the waves, and he begins to think, what, what am I doing? You can't walk on water. And what happens? He begins to sink. And Jesus reaches out to him. He pulls him back up. He so he says, "Peter, why'd you doubt?" Peter took his eyes off of Christ, began to see the waves and the wind. He, this, the arrows were flying at Peter. Begin to look around, we, you, you see the, the arrows flying in the economy. Maybe it's sickness you see around you, maybe maybe it's betrayal, maybe maybe there are hurts, maybe there's anger, maybe maybe there's addictions, and you you look around and see these, and Jesus pulls Peter up, and he says, Peter, why did you doubt? Peter acted on the doubt. And so we have this shield that that, that God gives us, this belief in action that, that protects us from that doubt. It's belief in action. One writer put it this way. He said this, it's truth plus therefore. That's the shield of faith. I love that. Truth plus therefore. So what does that mean? It means when we live out the implications of the truth, when we say Jesus is the truth, he's my righteousness, therefore, I'm gonna live differently. When we begin to say the therefore, that's us picking up the shield and moving out in faith, applying that truth. So what's this look like when a wicked thought comes into your mind? I thought, like, man, where did that come from, that that evil, sinful thought? We grab a hold of the truth that says, I'm a new creation in Christ. I put my faith in him. I'm born again. I have a a new nature. My mind's being renewed by the word of God and by the spirit of God. So this thought is from the enemy. Therefore, I'm not going to believe it. I'm not going to embrace this sinful thought. I'm not going to partner with this thought. I'm not going to act on this thought. I'm not going to add gas to this temptation by moving forward with it. I'm a new creation. Therefore, I won't act on that thought. Or what about when you fail? You grab hold of this truth that says, I'm an accepted child of God. My sins have been completely dealt with on the cross. Therefore, I won't despair in my sin. Therefore, I won't stay in shame or condemnation. I will confess my sin, and he's faithful and just to forgive my sin and cleanse me from all unrighteousness. That's holding onto the shield. What about when you're overwhelmed by sin done to you? People have done stuff to you and actions against you. You grab hold of the truth that says, you know what? Christ is for me, who can be against me? Therefore, I won't return evil for evil. Jesus forgave all my sin, therefore, I can forgive others. What about suffering? What about those times when I know even here in our church family there are many of you who have, who have lost loved ones. You grab a hold of the truth that says, I, I know that Jesus promises to return. And, and that those who have died in Christ will rise again. I, I know we'll be reunited. I, I know there's a promise of eternity that's so great that even the best day here on earth can't come close to comparing with what eternity is going to be like. Therefore, therefore, even though we mourn, and it's okay to mourn, Jesus wept. We, we weep. We cry with each other. We feel the pain, but we don't mourn as those without hope. The loss, amen, the loss doesn't lead us to destructive behavior. When you miss your loved ones, you know I don't have to enter into that and and start pursuing sinful behavior and destructive behavior, why? Because I know who Christ is and I know what he's doing and I know that there's an eternity and it keeps me from being overwhelmed. Think about all these arrows again when when sickness comes And, and rather than adding anxiety as fuel to that, we know God is in control, therefore, we can walk in faith even in times of sickness, even in times where we don't know the outcome. We can take that anxiety, we can take that, that angst in us, and rather than entering into it and pouring more gas on it so it lights us up, we can take it and say, Lord, I'm giving this to you. I'm anxious, I don't know, but I want to trust you. I want to walk in faith. To add the therefore to truth is not always an easy thing because here's what happens. Screaming at the top of its lungs are our feelings. And we know the truth, but we feel a different way. We've been raised in a culture that says, never doubt your feelings. Trust your feelings completely. And our our feelings yell so loud. We need to take those feelings and hold them up to the truth of God's word yeah I'm feeling this but is this feeling true I'm feeling abandoned is that true according to God's word I'm feeling betrayed I'm feeling entitled I'm feeling anxious so often we don't even question those feelings and by doing that we're pouring fuel on those feelings and the fire begins to spread we need to take them and hold them up to the truth of God's word Bring them to the Lord. As 2 Corinthians 10 says, we need to take our thoughts captive to the obedience of Christ. So when the thought comes, say, listen, I'm going to bring this to Christ. I'm not going to let my feeling drive me. Uh, I'm going to make sure the truth of God's word is what drives my heart and my life. Because listen, not every thought that comes at us is from the Lord. We have thoughts from the evil one. Romans 7 says we have our own thoughts to deal with, our own sinful heart, we need to take all of those and bring them under the authority of God's word. Because when we don't do that, here's where our sin steps in, and those flaming arrows that start as a small flame of doubt, we pour so much fuel on those. When we're already practicing sin, that's the arrow Satan fires our way. When my heart already has a bent towards towards amassing more stuff for myself and Satan fires the arrow of greed, it lights up so easily. When my my heart and life is already pursuing after lust, Satan fires a thought and I grab a hold of that thought and run with it. When our heart already has, has bitterness in it, Satan sends us lies about the person we are bitter towards and we just pour gas on that. Listen, this is why confessing our sin, it's such a, a beautiful thing, because when we confess our sin, we're actually getting, hey, take the gas out of here, man. I don't want that fuel anymore. I'm not lighting those fires up. I'm confessing this. I'm being cleaned of this. And here's the promise. Look at verse 16. Here's the great promise of verse 16. It says, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, which with, with which you can extinguish all of the flaming darts. I love that promise. I every one, I mean, every thought that comes, I can take captive. I mean, every doubt that comes my way, I can defend it with faith. When your shield is soaked in the word of God, all the arrows can be extinguished. Here's my last point this morning. It's a quick one. I'm in the battle with others beside me. You know, all this talk about these, these thoughts coming, I need the shield of faith. i got to pick it up. Listen, here's the beauty of Christian community. You're not fighting alone. It's not just you and your little shield. Here, here's the thing, those shields were wide enough in the Roman times that two-thirds of it was for you, one-third was for people beside you. When things got really bad, when they started to, to lay siege on a city and stuff's coming over the walls, they're, they're pouring hot stuff on and rocks and arrows, the, the people behind the front line with the shields all lined up would put their shields above and they're like this little turtle totally protected by each other's shields. You're not in the battle alone, so what's that mean? The shield of faith, it's a group shield. We're all, when we we walk in faith, it acts as this fortress for Harvest, Muskoka Harvest, Perry Sound, that we would be a fortress together against the enemy. Now, there's two implications to that. Here's the one, the one is this, you and I have a responsibility to take up our shield of faith. I mean, can you imagine? You're going in a battle, you got your shield, you look beside and you got the assignment to be beside the dude who forgot his shield. Like, what you, Where's your shield? I didn't bother picking it up. The arrows are coming in right here. I'm going to get hit. Thanks a lot, right? We have a responsibility as a church family to pick up the shield for each other. Here's the second implication, though. We're also here for those who are so weary, who are so broken, they've lowered their shield, they've dropped their shield. Maybe you're here this morning, you're in that tough place where where something's hit your life you're like, "I, I can't handle this on my own. A death, a sickness, a job loss, a, a, an addiction, a, a news of failure, a, a dis- difficult relationship, a, a struggles in your family. and You're like, man, I don't know what I'm going to do with this. I, I don't think I can stand on my own in this. Listen, look beside you because there's supposed to be others beside you who are taking up the shield of faith on your behalf. Maybe you've felt that before. You're like, man, I'm so done. I've got nothing. Yet brothers and sisters have come around. A small groups come around you. Families come around you, And they've picked up their shield of faith for you. You, you see this in Mark chapter 2. Remember the story? There's this this guy who's so sick he can't get up, and Jesus is in this house, and people are all crowded around. There's no way to get to him. So his buddies lift him up on his mat to the roof of the home, tear the roof open, and they lower him down to Jesus to be healed. You know what it says in Mark 2? It says that Jesus looked and said, said, he looked at their faith. Amazed at their faith, he forgave his sins and healed them. Sometimes we're called to hold up the shield of faith for those who are vulnerable. Sometimes we're called to hold the shield of faith for those beside us who can't hold their shield. Hebrews 10, 23 to 25 says this, "'Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting meeting together as is a habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Listen, what's he saying? He's saying this, we need each other. And maybe the, you come to church like, nah I don't really need church. Maybe we need you. Maybe there's somebody else who, who is so weary they can't pick up the shield. Man, don't, don't miss that opportunity of what we are together to come and say, I've got my shield of faith. I'm walking in faith for me and for those around me, for my family, for my church. Ultimately, the shield we take up is God himself. I mean, I love that it's the armor of God. It's not, hey, grab the armor of the Christian. It's grab the armor of God. I mean, this is our hope, that that when we have this shield, we will stand. This shield will quench the arrows. This shield will go into battle. If you're in a tough place this morning, listen, listen to Psalm 33, what it says. If this is where you are this morning, you feel like, man, I can't pick up the shield. Listen to these words from Psalm 33. Our soul waits for the Lord. He's our help and our shield. For our heart is glad in Him because we trust His holy name. Let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us even as we hope in you. Listen, as long as you believe in God, who He says He is, your shield is up. It's just that simple. When Satan lies and you believe his lie, the shield comes down. We begin to see that, wait a minute, so to go into battle, I just need to trust God and everything. Yeah, that's right. First John 5, 4 said that faith in God is the victory that overcomes the world. We win when we believe in God. We win when we trust in God. And we may go through doubt, we may go through anxiety, we may go through Fears and worries and concerns and problems and struggles and trials and tribulation and persecution. But as long as you believe in who God says he is and who you are, you believe in his sustenance, you believe in his word, you believe in his power, his promise. The trial, the arrows, the difficulties don't have to point you to loss. They can actually be your strengthening, your point of gain as you continue to walk in faith on the front lines of the battle. Would you stand with me as I pray and as we close in worship? Heavenly Father, I I thank you for your word, Lord God, that we can trust in your word. Lord, that in the midst of trials, in the midst of struggle, in the midst of of tough times, Lord God, that, that we can know that although we are weak, you are strong. We can know that we can pick up this shield of faith. Not faith in us, but faith in you, who you say you are, and you've proven yourself faithful. Lord Jesus, you gave your life on the cross for us, faithful, right to the end. That, Lord God, we now can be raised to new life. We now can have armor that can withstand all the fiery darts of the evil one. Lord God, we thank you. We love you. Would you be our strength? Father, I pray that in this community, Lord, that that more would, would be able to pick up the shield of faith. For those who are weary, that we can pick up the shield for them, God. And that we can... We can, as a, a followers of yours, with your arm, with your shield, we can storm the gates of hell. And we can see lives change for eternity. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.